Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And it is Saturday. Time to go into the vault for a classic episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind. I think this is one that you and Christian did back in 2017, right? Yeah, this one uh, is about uh, jade immortality, basically about the the, the use of jade and beliefs uh, 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 about jade from uh, from Chinese history, Uh, particularly uh, how it factors into uh, the jade armor that was used in some of these burial practices. I believe we touched on this a little bit in uh, a later episode that you and I did. Oh, the one about the tomb of Qin Shi Huang. Yeah, we at least touched on it as uh, as, as part of the the history of um, of Chinese funeral traditions. Well, we hope you enjoyed this classic episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Christian Sager. We have kind of like an unofficial series of episodes that we've been doing over the course of the last two years that are related to various Asian cultures and death. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is another one of those. So we've talked about ghost burial before. We've talked about Chinese immortality. Uh, and then this is also slightly connected to the episode that we did on, or maybe it was two episodes, on mummification. Yeah, I feel like we've done two, maybe more. Uh, I know that we've talked about exploring more and more of the mummification cultures uh, throughout the world. Oh, I know what it is. We, we discussed uh, Japanese custom in an episode. Yeah. Oh, and then there's also the, the monks. They have the self-mummifying monks. Yes, yeah, those, those monks. guys. That's mm-hmm. the other one. So this is along those lines. Today we're going to be talking about jade burial suits. And once I got done researching this, my first thought was, this would be a far cooler way to make a new Mummy franchise. They've been oh, yeah. showing the trailers constantly for that new Mummy movie with Tom Cruise that's coming out this summer, and it looks awful. And I think that this would be a cool Mummy, like this Mummy in this giant suit of jade armor coming yeah. at you. That would be so much fun. Yeah, because you look at uh, images of this, and there should be an image of one of these suits of jade burial armor uh, on, on the landing page for this episode at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. It's... Uh, it looks kind of like the the villain in that first Thor movie, you know? Oh, yeah. That big suit of uh, animate armor that he fought. The Destroyer. Yeah, it looks yeah. kind of like the Destroyer. It's it's beautiful, and indeed, I could see a an Eastern Mummy franchise really having some fun with this. Yeah. That being said, I did not see the Eastern Mummy uh, entry, like the, the third or fourth Mummy film that came out. Oh, did they do something like that already? They did. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't know what, I, I, having not seen it, I can't speak yeah. for the Mummy design. Yeah. However, I know there's a scene where Yeti's attacked, so I, wow, I do really? kind of want to watch it for that. Huh. I had no idea that even existed. This is like from the 1990s Mummy franchise with the Scorpion King and all that? Yeah, this one is was post-Scorpion King, Okay, and that's about all I know about wow. it. Wow, okay. Well, maybe we'll talk about that one on Trailer Talk when we do a, a Facebook Live about these episodes this week. So in this episode, we're going, we're going to be exploring a practice that, uh, that is tied directly to the Western Han Dynasty. And we're going to, I know a lot of you out there are not going to have a real firm handle on uh, dynastic Chinese history. Don't worry, we're going to root all that where it needs to, to be placed in the, uh, in the timeline uh, shortly. 
But uh, these suits are, uh, you know, we can call them jade suits. We can call them jade armor. Uh, in the in Mandarin, they're sometimes referred to as yu sha, which are uh, jade caskets, or sometimes yu yi, which are jade garments. And it is essentially a, a stone garment, if you think mm-hmm. about that, because because jade is a stone. And that's probably a great place to start, really. Let's just discuss what jade is before we pile on its uh, supernatural connotations and then get into Chinese history. Okay. All right. So jade is essentially an ornamental green rock. Uh, everyone has probably seen something that is either made of jade or is supposed to be made of jade. But then... What does that even mean? Yeah, I'm thinking of like uh, in the local mall that we have here, there's like a couple like places where you can buy sort of like Chinese themed uh, aesthetic decorations for the home. And usually there's like a piece of jade in it somewhere or it might be made of some kind of fake jade. There's those, um, oh, the, I forget what they're called, but they, they're like red uh, uh, ribbons or... Um, Threads and they've mm-hmm. got a piece of jade woven into them. Oh yeah, you often see little uh, little rings of jade. Yeah, uh, sometimes sometimes worn by by children in China still, mm-hmm. uh, or incorporated into uh, some sort of direct decoration or uh, or personal adornment. And uh, the, the the interesting thing here though is that whatever you're calling jade, jade is the name given to two distinct minerals, uh, nephrite and jadeite. And uh, in their purest form, either of these is white. Uh, in, uh, in, in Chinese, it's referred to as mutton fat jade. Huh. And you'll also have minerals such as iron and chromium that give jade its many hues. So there's not just one color of jade. It's not like a Crayola. This is jade. Yeah. Hold it up to your stone and see if it matches. It's like a there's gamut a lot of between white and like very green. Yeah, very and darker greens, yeah. So let's talk about these two uh, varieties real quick. Uh, the, uh, the nephrite is sometimes referred to as true jade. It's very strong. It has a more vivid green coloration. And this is the stuff that the Chinese worked with during the Han Dynasty, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Because jadeite wasn't introduced to China until the late 1600s via Burma. So when we're talking about these pieces of jade armor, they're made using nephrite, not jadeite. Now, jadeite, on the other hand, is more fragile, uh, and it has a brilliant gleaming surface when polished. Now, Jade is usually found inside pebbles or boulders where, like, the rough, stony exterior doesn't really give a clue as to what's in there. Jade itself, it can't be chipped or flaked, so it has to be worn down using a rough paste and a combination of rotary discs, grinders, and tools. And during the Han Dynasty, this was probably made, this paste was made with water, grease, and sand, and then iron tools had been developed specifically for the art and craft of working with jade to develop and work it further into various forms. Um, So I I think this is a good point for me to just bring up, like, I think here in the West, jade is sort of this very, like, stereotypical attached idea to, uh, like, 
the Orient, yeah, right? Yeah, it's very bound up in Orientalism, right? Yeah, like, do you remember that video game came out, gosh, it must have been 10, 15 years ago now, uh, Jade Empire? I played the hell out of that game. Oh, was this a, was this a turn-based RPG? Yeah, it was made by the same people who made uh, the Knights of the Old Republic games and the Dragon Age games. Oh, very okay. similar setup, except for this was in, it had a really cool setting, but it was like a steampunk mythological China. Yeah. Um, and... You know, as such, used very like kind of stereotypical pieces from that mythology. Hmm. But still, I mean, I, I have to admit, as, as much as I love exploring uh, Asian history, uh, I also love fantasy inspired by Asian. Oh yeah, teeth. so yeah, uh, so I, I should I should check it out a little bit. I don't know. Is it one of those where the graphics don't really hold up? I mean, or? I haven't played it in so long. I think it was I played it on the original Xbox, but it was fun. <laughs> you got like this various group of characters you would have I think like three characters at a time that would go on these like sort of dungeon crawl missions and like one would be a spell ca- it was very D&D but it okay. was like uh, we've talked about this on the show before the sort of like racist oriental adventures D&D <laughs> where they would like you know you'd have a spellcaster, you'd have a warrior and you'd have like a ninja or something like that and they would like go they were, it was really just like a fighter a rogue and a magic user gotcha um, and yeah they'd have these various missions they'd fight monsters from Chinese mythology yeah it was yeah. fun aesthetically <laughs> so there was probably a little jade in there and oh yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, i think they it, the jade was a big theme in it yeah well jade is is a big theme in uh in in chinese traditions so we should probably discuss what it's supernatural powers were thought to be. Yeah. We've, we've given a brief overview of its physical properties. Certainly you can go in deeper if you want to. We're not really a minerals podcast, but there's a lot of great information out there about jade if that's your thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as, as far as supernatural qualities go, yeah, jade was believed to have protective and uh, preservative qualities, warding off both decay and evil spirits. I've also read that some believe jade darkens as the wearer gets richer, oh, lightens yeah. as they get poorer. So it's kind of like a mood ring for your, um, you know, your your financial status. That's great. Instead of having like an app on your phone that tells you how your bank account's doing, you just have like a little piece of jade, like like on one of those uh, yeah. red wristbands. Yeah, you meet somebody, you want to know uh, where they stand, you just take a peek at their jade. Now, it's also worth pointing out that uh, in terms of just how important jade is in, in Chinese uh, tradition and mythology, you have Yu Di, the jade emperor, and he stands as the supreme god in the Chinese mythological pantheon. And if you uh, if you actually think back to the episode on the Chinese zodiac uh, that Stuff to Blow Your Mind did a while back, uh, there's this whole parable of the swimming zodiac animals in a oh, race, okay. yeah. and they're racing for a Yu Di. Have you seen any of those uh, wuxia movies about Dr. D? I haven't. I'm familiar with them by name, but I haven't watched them. They're fun. You should check them out. Yeah. Now, it's also important to note that uh, Taoist alchemists uh, as well uh, put uh, put an emphasis on jade as part of a, an immortality elixir that also contained gold, silver, arsenic, and other ores. Uh, and it was said to provide resistance to aging and, and decay. In fact, in the 320 CE book, uh, Pao Puzu, which means the master embracing simplicity, author uh, uh, Gi Hong wrote that gold and jade inserted into the nine orifices uh, prevented corpses from decaying. Okay, so this comes up a lot today when we're talking about this jade burial armor. And I want to establish something here. (laughs) So I read this and I went, 
I had to count my orifices. <laughs> and I was like, I kept coming up short. I only counted seven. And then I realized they were counting the eyes. Yes. And it, it, it might sound kind of grotesque to think of eye plugs, but they're not like corks that go in the eye sockets. They're more yeah, like... They're little shields. Yeah. It's kind of like when... Uh, like cucumbers on the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one I was going for was how they would put coins oh, yes. on people's eyes so that they could pay the ferryman for the River Charon. But yeah, yeah this is obviously different mythology, but it's the same principle. It's mm-hmm. like little jade shields that went over your eyes. So... I, apparently, I, I don't know if I'm wrong or right, but I never thought of my eyes as being orifices. <laughs> well, it's it's where the the light comes in, right? It's true. Something's going in there. Yeah. Now, uh, it's interesting. I mentioned children wearing um, uh, jade uh, bangles earlier, and uh, you you still see this uh, used in China. And this, the idea here is that uh, this protects the child from harm, including soul-separating fright by a demon. And uh, I actually ran across a cool source for this. So if we if we ever want to do an episode on Chinese exorcism, uh, playing off our past episodes on exorcism, uh, this would be a good one to, to seek out. I think that's a hard yes from me. But uh, <laughs> audience, let us know if you're interested in Chinese exorcism. Now, uh, in terms of other associations, uh, some uh, traditional Chinese medicine approaches call for the use of jade massaging tools to help. Uh, I was reading about you know, using it on wrinkles on the face. And uh, there are also ingredients with jade in the name in Chinese traditional medicine uh, that are not actually jade, such as a jade windscreen powder. That's a, a, just a dried root of a, of a particular plant, but it has nothing to do with the, the mineral itself. So even though like we're well past this sort of you know uh, myth that jade has this ability to stave off decay, it's still used in a lot of those sort of, uh, I guess, homeopathic yeah. methodologies. Uh, like I was reading about the one of the ones, uh, the ancient Chinese jade stone being used. Like I think they would like wrap it around your neck, and it was supposed to help you with TMJ. Huh? Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to the idea that here is this very beautiful, cool-looking stone that came out of the ground. Surely, it's worth keeping around for something, right? Right. Yeah. It reminds me of hematite. There's yeah. there's similar stuff surrounding hematite. Yeah. But just I think in different cultures. And you know, a lot of this bleeds into into other cultures outside of China. I know if you uh, if you happen to visit a Korean sauna, and we have one of these in the uh, Atlanta area in Jeju. Mm. Um, and and I and I love going there. They they have these various saunas that uh, sauna rooms that have different minerals there, and they have one that has jade in it. Uh, and the idea here is that quote jade increases metabolism, improves circulation, and relieves arthritis pain. All right, now this is giving me an idea for a business, and I'm okay. not very entrepreneurial, so maybe somebody out there can start this. So you combine the jade sauna idea mm-hmm. with the flotation sensory deprivation tank, and oh, you yeah. build a sensory deprivation tank out of jade and then you climb inside that and you float in salinated water for an hour. That would be amazing because yeah. that's that's something that's kind of lacking with uh, with float uh, tank uh, scenarios yeah. is they are very they're very secular. Yeah. They yeah. could use a little um, mystical spice wrapping. it up. Yeah, yeah, that would be fun. I'd do it. Yeah, plug plug our orifices with uh, yeah. some jade give and me, let us go. Give me nine pieces of jade. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we uh, get those nine pieces of jade, why don't we take a quick break? And when we get back, we're going to give you a little bit of a rundown on the Western Han Dynasty. All right, we're back. So I realize Chinese dynastic secession can be confusing for folks. Uh, 
and and certainly, especially if you're just going from zero, trying to go to from zero to fifty on it, uh, it it's it's a lot to take in. I, I will admit, I mean, as some listeners know. I spent time in China as a kid. I mm-hmm. learned Mandarin growing up, and I lived in Singapore during high school. And Chinese history is completely lost on me. It's really tough for me to keep track of it. Yeah, I, I'm constantly referring back to the the chart with the with the dynasties. Now I know there's a little song I've heard people sing this. Okay, uh, where it's Frere Frere Jaca. Except it's really? it's the different dynasties. I have not heard this. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I when I say I've heard it, I've I've seen a video with two old white uh, Chinese scholars uh, singing it to each other <laughs> as an example of something you learn in school when you're learning about Chinese history. Okay. So, All right. So it's like a mnemonic device. Yeah. Okay. So we're not going to throw it all at you. Basically, we're going to go from the beginning up until the Han Dynasty just and, and throughout the years so you can place it in the general time frame. And... Uh, the Han Dynasty is essentially the fourth or fifth dynasty or the second imperial dynasty. It ultimately depends on what you count as a dynasty. Uh, and, and this has to do with sort of a legendary mythic time. So let's start from the beginning. First up, you have uh, the Shah Dynasty. This is 2070 to 1600 BCE. And it's largely mythological with some very early Bronze Age evidence. So, yeah, this is the time of gods and heroes. And so, and this is why some don't actually count this in terms of historical dynasties. But then comes the Shang Dynasty. And uh, this was long considered apocryphal, but his historians now correlate it with oracle bone writings. This period takes us up to uh, roughly um, 1123 BCE and the Zhou Dynasty. Now, this is the first millennium BCE, and this is a time of conflict in China. And there are two periods here that are of particular note, and that's uh, the spring and autumn from 722 to 481 BCE and the Warring States period, 475 through 221 BCE. Okay, so what I'm seeing here so far is it seems like these dynasties last, you know, roughly around 500 years. Yeah, yeah, so, so far. Now, at the end of the Warring States period, the Qin dynasty uh, begins, and uh, this is when uh, the Qin kingdom conquered other central Chinese states and became the first truly imperial dynasty under Qin Shi Huang, the, the first emperor um, of China. Okay. And it was during uh, this rule that the northern border wall was implemented, what we now call the Great Wall, and uh, in the first of many peasant uprisings... To, uh, to echo through Chinese history, Lu Bang rose up and conquered China to found, finally, the Han Dynasty in 206 BCE. And this was only, you know, 15 years later. Okay, so this, this is where we're zoning in on in terms of this jade burial armor being created, right? But right. there's obviously many dynasties afterward. So, yeah, the Han Dynasty is, is, is big money early on. Like, this is, uh, this is a, again, a time of things coming together, of unity. Certainly, there are still lots of... Problems as with any you know imperial scenario, but uh, but it's it's a time where, uh, where, where where there's an, there's enough there are enough riches out there there's enough specialization that uh, you can have something like a, a fancy funeral tradition take place. Now overall, the Han Dynasty run, ran from 202 or 206 BCE until 221 CE. So you know, we're talking about a pretty long stretch here. Uh, and that at the end of this, in 221 CE, that's when everything splits into the three kingdoms. But we divide the Han Dynasty up into the 
first the former or Western Han Dynasty and the and also the later or Eastern Han Dynasty. And that's because in the midst of this uh, this long, you know, f- four century stretch, you have a rebellion take place. And uh, so and basically what happens is a Han Dynasty official Wang Meng seizes power and uh, and and this is referred to as the Xin Dynasty 9 through 23 AD. He does a pretty poor job. And then the Hans uh, reclaim power in 23 AD after besieging the imperial palace. He dies in the process. So in other words, you have two, 400 years of, uh, of Han rule, but there's this one little period where an usurper comes like to a, power. Yeah, like a 20-year like a period, or actually less than 20 years of this one guy ruling and then yeah. just getting taken down. So again, this is an influential four centuries in Chinese history, saw the institution of uh, Confucian norms, the roots of the imperial examination system, uh, the an age of great economic, technological, cultural, and social progress. Uh, Han still refers to the main Chinese ethnic group. And this is, again, also the period that gives us these, these amazing jade burial suits. Okay. So we've teased enough. What's a jade burial suit? Because I... I think when I first heard about this, my thought was that it was like Iron Man mm-hmm. and it was, but Iron Man made of jade. And that's not correct. There's thousands of little pieces in these things. Yeah, it's between 2,000 and 4,000 of these little jade pieces. All of it's sewn together. And uh, it's sewn together, depending on your station, it might be gold, silver, or silk. Wow. So really the, the the suit description is probably better this is a a yeah. suit made for a corpse and it's a suit made of maybe in, in you know mostly stone and yeah, maybe you, gold and silver or silk as well i can't imagine that a living person could wear one of these and and move no, right? no. I yeah mean, this, it would be incredibly heavy yeah only a supernatural um, you know undead being right. in, a, in a hollywood movie could do it now we referred back to our episode on ghost burial uh, earlier, and uh, and I do want to touch on on that real quick because one of a couple of the ideas we discussed in there are central to understanding you know, why this much care was was taken, uh, you know, for a dead individual. So we we discussed the importance of of uh, xiao, the uh, the f- f- filial piety in Chinese tradition, is rooted in uh, Taoist philosophy, Confucian family v- values. And uh, it concerns the undying nature of the human soul. You know, the dead live on in the afterlife. Uh, and then there are also ties to this Chinese notion of, uh, of, uh, of structural completeness, right? That you have this, this basic unit of the family. And if, everything, if anything is out of, out of place there, it's going to cause disharmony in your life and potentially in the afterlife. Yeah, we went into far greater detail on this in the ghost burial episode. But I wanted to reference a 1995 USA Today article that was specifically about the Jade burial suits and how it referred to this to for Western readers. So it claims that tombs in general were thought to be portals between the living and the dead. And basically the concept was, and this is similar to what we went over in Ghost Burial, the soul was divided. There's one part of the soul that goes to heaven, the other part stays in the body. And the one that's in the body had to be appeased or else it would turn evil. While the one that goes to heaven acted on behalf of the loved ones by offering them either protection or good fortune. And this is why the living tried to to ensure that the, de- the deceased were well provided for in death. So you get very similar 
uh, death rituals to the Egyptians in that, mm-hmm. like, people are buried with uh, their things, with things that they think will keep them comfortable. Yeah, there's this it's, there's this mix, though, with the, the ancestor of veneration, that it's not only is this somebody that deserved a proper burial and deserves right. to be, you know, buried and... and with the things that they loved. This is also someone who can speak on your behalf in the afterlife. Like this is an important contact to have. Mm -hmm. So you want them to be happy. You want to do right by them. So the very first one of these suits, which is part of that, was documented in literature around AD 320. But that's documented in literature. We didn't find them until far afterward. Yeah, it wasn't until 1958 that the suit hypothesis here, that, that these little jade pieces we were, fi- we were finding were part of the, the jade suit. It, you know, it was just a theory at the time, and uh, it wasn't until we actually found a, a really uh, undisturbed tomb uh, in 1968, uh, two tombs in Hebi. Uh, and this is where we found uh, tombs undisturbed by looters or mining efforts, and it resulted in two complete recovered and restored suits of jade armor. And this is quite a story. And if you've, you know, uh, we'll, we're going to talk about this, but museums here in the United States have had these suits, one or the other, uh, brought around on tour, basically, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so it's possible that you've actually seen one of these uh, sort of restructured and put on display in a museum here in the West. But uh, that's weird to me. I'll talk <laughs> about it more later after we get through it. But I, I think it's a little, it's, it's it seems slightly offensive to me, especially given the nature of why it was built in the first place. Now, you mentioned restored, and that's key because if you see one of these in a museum on display, it has almost assuredly been restored. Right. Because d- despite the ideas tied up with Jade, uh, jade doesn't, or at least the jade suit as it was executed, does not actually preserve the body. So the body ends up rotting away. There's nothing left but bone. Uh, the suit collapses, and then sometimes the, the casket collapses as well on top of it. So everything has to be put back together. Now, you actually have seen one, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think I've seen a couple, but the one that I got to see uh, in China is the one that uh, impressed me the most. Uh, it was at the Museum of the Western Han Dynasty Mausoleum of the Nanyu King in Guangzhou. Okay. So I was there uh, with my wife, uh, my, my my newly uh, acquired son. He was not impressed at all <laughs> as, as I strolled him around how, in the yeah, stroll. How old was he, though? He was like two or three, two he and a half? Like, he was one and a half. Oh, so yeah. He, yeah, he yeah. was not having any of it. <laughs> but. But, uh, but the tomb was was really Im- impressive for me anyway. Uh, it was uh, hidden uh, 20 meters, uh, 65.6 feet underground, and the, the king uh, himself was covered with uh, with, uh, with a silk and 2,291 pieces of jade to compose his suit. Wow. And the whole tomb really had the feel of just a cosmic vessel, and this was the suit of a of a necronaut, you know? Uh, you know but very much in keeping with, with the, the, the feeling that I get from... Um, from any kind of Egyptian artifacts. Mm, mm-hmm. Now, a number of other uh, such jade suits uh, accompanied by hordes of silks, lacquerware, figurines, and bronzes, you'll find these displayed in many Chinese museums. Uh, they turn up, as you pointed out, in, in international collections and traveling exhibits. Uh, an, a, a 1983 count from the Institute of Archaeology in Beijing claimed uh, 10,000 Han tombs had been discovered, and this resulted in 20 tombs with 23 jade suit uh, remain. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll jump right back into it. All right, we're back. 
So one of the things that I was reading was that at the time that these were being made, and this goes along with our episode on uh, Egyptian mummification. I mean, this was a process. It wasn't just like they had jade suits ready to go, right? Right. Um, these suits would have taken the most skilled of jade smiths over 10 years to make. So they were either building them before the person died or the person died, they were probably embalmed in some way, and then the suit was built around them 10 years after they had passed away. Now, as should be obvious from that 10,000 tombs, 23 jade suit remains uh, uh, figure there, these were not for everybody. These (laughs) were specifically for members of the Han aristocracy, uh, because ultimately, who else is going to afford a luxury burial item like this? Mm Uh, the uh, the work uh, Hu Han Shu or the uh, Book of the Later Han, a Chinese uh, court document from this time, explained uh, that your your rank determined what sort of jade suit you were well suited for. Uh, emperors had gold threaded jade suits. Vassal kings, high ranking imperial concubines, and princesses had jade suits with silver thread. And dowager concubines and sisters of the emperor, lesser aristocrats, uh, had suits with copper thread. I wouldn't be offended to wear a copper one. No, I would. I would. I'd be happy with yeah, uh, yeah with with copper Look, or if, tin. If anybody yeah. needs a dowager concubine, call me. <laughs> now, sometimes there were added decorations. Uh, Emperor Wu's suit was decorated with imagery of the flood dragon and other sacred creatures, and this is referred to as the flood dragon jade suit. But a lot of them are going to be you know featureless polished jade yeah one thing to remember here too is like we're throwing down terms like gold and silver and copper is that jade was more valuable in china than gold or silver was in the west Mm -hmm. and jade crafting as we mentioned earlier it achieved its height during the reign of emperor Qianlong, and that was from 1736 to 1795 ce he actually made all jade in the country Mm -hmm. his private property and the idea was that if anybody tried to trade jade, it was punishable by death because he he owned it all, regardless of whether or not it was actually in his possession. Now, this ties in nicely with uh, the next point, and that's that uh, evidence supports the theory that this was a, there was probably a centralized place or a couple of places for manufacturing these suits. Uh, artisans would work on what was, again, essentially a luxury item. So you can't just go anywhere and get a jade suit. Right. And, um, and while these Probably were, still couldn't today. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless unless you know a guy. Um, it, it's also uh, worth noting that while these items were for specific members of Han uh, aristocracy, there were violations, including an account, and this was shared uh, in, a, in, a, in a paper that we'll, uh, we'll cite on the landing page by Jeffrey Cao and Yang uh, Zhoxing, and this was uh, the tale of a eunuch named Zhao Zhang who secretly buried his father in a jade suit, but then he was found out, and so the casket was opened up uh, and, um, and busted out, and his entire family was imprisoned for the wow. for, for the for the crime. Think about that. I mean, like, given how difficult these things are to make, like, somehow you secretly had one of those made, you bury your dad in it, and then you're found out and caught and just like utterly punished for it. That's, that's, that's a story. Yeah. I mean, and it shows how, how, how important all of this was yeah. to the culture at the time. You know, this was, this was not just, you, you couldn't just be frivolous and get a jade suit. No, the jade suit was for particular members of society mm. and to violate uh, those, those societal divisions was, uh, was a dire matter. Now, we mentioned uh, earlier how in the, in the late 1950s, you had this hypothesis, these little jade pieces everyone was finding were, were, were bits of a jade suit. 
but that it wasn't until 1968 when they found those two tombs in Hebi. This is when we actually had evidence. We actually had uh, two complete uh, recovered and ultimately restored suits of jade armor. And uh, in particular, they were Lu Xing, uh, Prince Jing of the kingdom of Zhongshan. So this was the son of the Western Han Emperor Jing and his consort Dao Wan. Now, while their bodies were undisturbed, the corpses had collapsed, the casket had collapsed, uh, but everything was still in place. He had gold uh, thread. She had silk. His suit contained 2,498 jade pieces. Hers contained 2,160. And in both suits, the, uh, only the outer surfaces were polished, and the inner surfaces were scarred by circular cutting tools and straight-edge tools, the very tools that you referred to earlier for the shaping of jade. Yeah. And while the jade, you know, did didn't protect their bodies from decomposition as was thought. The porous rock that was actually in this, this I guess, cave is the best way to describe it, uh, did have absorptive capabilities. When they were found in 1968, the archaeologists had to work through, get this, two brick walls and a thick plate of molten iron that had been poured between oh, wow. them. And this is obviously because of how bad the grave robbing thing had become and, and partially why this one was hadn't been robbed yet, you know. Uh, so they, they had to work their way through this. Lu Sheng's body had those jade plugs that we talked about earlier. He had them in his nose, ears, and mouth, and then the little jade shields for his eyes. They also each had gilt bronze headrests that were inlaid with jade, and they held jade crescents in their hand. Hmm. Now, the coffin that was found on the floor, that was made of 4,000 pieces of jade, and it had just completely fallen apart into a pile on the tomb floor. There were also lots of sculptures, as we mentioned earlier. They, they, they placed lots of little items around, too, that were also made of jade, including those of a Bixie, which was a mythological, powerful winged beast that averted evil. And I included a picture in here. It's kind of, it's kind of like a dragon. It's like a cross between like a dragon and a dog. With It's got wings. Yeah, I keep wanting to do like a full exploration of, as, as if such a thing were possible of um, of Chinese dragons. Yeah. Because there's so many different varieties and there are a lot of things where you look at them and you think, oh, well, that's a dragon or that's kind of a dragon turtle. But yeah. they all have very particular identities and symbol and symbolic power. Like you would, and, and it would depend where you would want to engrave one or include a statue of one. Totally, yeah. it would protect certain... Certain structures. You know, I think I pronounced that pinion wrong, too, because I just went with Bixie because it looks like it rhymes with Pixie, but I think it's supposed to be B-She. Okay. Though I look at, he looks like a Bixie. When it, you yeah. know, I can imagine his name being Bixie. It, I, hey, it was the Pokemon of their time. I yeah. mean, this thing looks pretty cool. It's, it's kind of like a fat-chested dragon dog. <laughs> Indeed. Now... Uh, obviously, when we when we look at the jade burial suits, we're looking at the convergence of two different customs, burial in armor and the sacred use of jade. So there are plenty of examples of, of, uh, of just normal decorative armor suits that were worn by bodies uh, prior to this. And uh, the uh, actually, the, the prince that we just referred to, I believe he was buried with a suit of armor. Okay. Uh, and the suit of armor was actually a more modern design. Okay. Uh, but he was, but that was just included with him, and he was actually buried, of course, in the jade armor. Now, my understanding is these two in particular that we're referring to, these are the ones that are touring around the world, and you can see them in various museum locations. Yes, I believe so. 
All right, so you're probably wondering, well, then what happens to the jade suits? Like, this is a pretty fantastic tradition. Why does it fade away? Why does something so rich and so ornate just vanish? And the, the answer is interesting. The, the, answering ha- the answer has to do with all of those plundered tombs. Yeah, it's all about grave robbing. Yeah, and this was fascinating and disturbing as well uh, when we read what the, 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 uh, the, the tomb raiders would do with the suits when they, they pilfered them. Yeah, there were uh, more than two dozen suits that have been discovered since 1968. But the reason why there aren't more is because in AD 223, Emperor Wen of Wei ordered that the production of them had to be stopped because of so much looting. And what would happen is these looters would go in and they would burn the suits solely so they could retrieve the gold thread that was Uh within. They didn't care about the jade. And as you pointed out off air, well, if you had these little pieces of jade that were perfectly cut down to make a suit, you can't go sell that on the black market because right. somebody's going to know, oh, this must have come from this specific suit from this specific prince. But gold, you can melt down and turn into whatever you want and sell Yeah, it. you can always come up with a story about that gold. Yeah. But those jade pieces were clearly stolen from an important person's body. And you might as well just walk around with a, a sign in Mandarin that says, execute me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you, you referred back earlier to the, the, the porous nature of the jade, and there is this, this idea uh, that is uh, put out there that uh, even though jade does not have any magical body-preserving pro- properties, and uh, you know, despite the fact that no soft tissue has been, uh, f- been found preserved by these funeral rites, uh, it has been suggested that this, the porous nature of the stone itself might actually preserve some genetic material and that, you know, DNA might be found uh, intermixed uh, with the jade. Okay. A lot of accounts of this notion uh, refer back to a piece titled Immortal Jade by Sherry uh, Talinko, and this was published in the Canadian Medical Journal. But to my knowledge, there's been no actual evidence for this thus far. Okay, but I could see why it would be an interesting avenue of research. Like, yeah. there's some possibilities for genealogical research, especially, you know, you mentioned the Han ethnic group earlier. Related to that, that could be some interesting stuff if you're looking at DNA samples. Yeah. I think one of the the problems there is that is that, that we do have uh, uh, tombs and graves from the, the Han dynasty that uh, we're able to study and, and get genetic information from. Uh, so it's not like these would be the the one place we would find it. Yeah, and this so this leads into my I, I know I mentioned this earlier, but it's just it seems really weirdly offensive that these relics are kind of pulled out of where they were kept, trotted out across the world and displayed in museums. I remember uh, the High Museum here in Atlanta Mm -hmm. had the Terracotta Warriors uh, a couple of years ago, and they were very cool. But the, the, so my understanding was those terracotta warriors were buried with, you know, someone very much like these jade suits were. And I felt similar then. I, I don't know. I, I suppose if they didn't do this, the tombs would eventually be looted by somebody. But to me, I guess the idea more along the lines of what you saw when you were in China is you go to the actual site itself and you see them. That is at least like sort of compromising. You're yeah. allowing them to keep these suits that they uh, that they believed were going to protect them in the afterlife. Yeah, I mean, I guess this gets into a more complicated issue, and and it it's going to vary, you know, from culture to culture, and depending how far back in time you're going. Yeah, because I, I this instantly makes me think back to when I was at the Field Museum in Chicago. Yeah, recently. we went up there for C two E two, and uh, Joe and I went over there. 
They have a wonderful uh, Native American section, a lot of it devoted to uh, Northwest Coast uh, Native peoples. Okay. And, uh, th- you know, they have masks, they have costumes, uh, details about their various, you know, rich uh, uh, spiritual traditions. But there's a section that they've completely um, uh, marked off. You can't see into it anymore. Because the display depicts uh, important uh, artifacts from their funeral rites. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So somewhere along the line, like maybe that tribe in its current iteration said, we're uncomfortable with this. Please don't do it. Yeah. So it's like a current people saying, this is, we find this to be disrespectful and this needs to be handled in a more appropriate manner. I'd be and curious if there's if there's anyone in China who feels that way about this stuff or if it's just kind of like they've moved past that uh, veneration for this particular dynasty and they're okay with, you know, sending them around the world and having them looked at because it, it I guess in a way it spreads Chinese culture. Yeah. Yeah, it's curious. Well, if you're a listener out there and you have any idea, maybe you've lived in China or you're Chinese yourself, please let us know. I'd be curious. Indeed. So, so there you have it. Uh, hopefully, we've provided a decent snapshot of another just really interesting funeral tradition, mm. uh, a, uh, an artistic tradition, a time period, a little about the mineral, and uh, the possibility of some sort of genetic material actually being preserved by this, uh, this supernaturally infused uh, funeral rite. Now, I, I, I'm, I guess some people are probably thinking that I'm a bit of a hypocrite because I started off the episode saying I would love to see a movie about a <laughs> jade burial suited mummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I kind of am uncomfortable about <laughs> actually looking at the real thing. So, you know, I'd be curious if, you, if you've got any information about this that we missed, please let us know. Uh, you can reach out to us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. If you've seen these before and you've got details that you want to let us know about, please tell us that too, or maybe even uh, some pictures. That would be cool. Uh, Do you wear jade? If you wear oh, jade yeah. at all, let's share any kind of, uh, you know, supernatural ideas that you carry around with it. Mm-hmm. And then you can always visit our website, which is stufftoblowyourmind.com. That's right. That's where you'll find uh, all the podcasts, including several of these we've mentioned, uh, the Chinese immortality, the ghost marriage, the various mummification episodes, the Chinese zodiac. All of those are there, and we'll try to include uh, links on the landing page for this episode. And if you just want to write us the old-fashioned way, whether it's in English or Mandarin, you can write us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Thank <laughs> you.